Inside 20, for those who desire to hunt close. Brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia, Big Jim's Bow Company, Gunshy Archery, Vantage Point Archery, Custom Kings Traditional Archery, and Triple T Strings. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared from each podcast are the beliefs of the Inside 20 associates and the guests participating. Tonight, we get to welcome our first official hunting couple we have had on our podcast as guests. Both these individuals have been impressingly successful with traditional gear and love they have for this lifestyle shines through in the photos that they share on social media. We're excited to welcome Marie and Denny Sturgis. How are y'all doing tonight? Good, good. Excited to be here. Looking forward to it, guys. Yeah, yeah we excited. are too. Yes, thank you so much for your time in advance. Tonight, we really want to talk about uh, destination hunting, uh, memorable whitetail hunts from recent years, and then just getting opportunities at mature whitetails, uh, kind of the, the high level of what we'll go through, if that's okay with y'all. Sounds good. Right on. All right, so this question goes for both of you, and we'll let Marie go first. So tell us about yourself, where you're from, and how long you've been hunting traditional, and then finally tie into that, what really got you into this type of hunting? Well, I'm from, I was born in Michigan and grew up in Howe, Indiana. Um, met Denny, uh, gosh, we've been married 40 years now. I would have never, never killed anything in my life. Um, but he, I watched him with his love of archery for all these years. And um, we target shot. And then he started taking me bow fishing. And um, then it graduated into deer and turkey. And, you know, I'm I'm a 62-year-old registered nurse, mom. I, we have four kids. I'm a grandma. I have two grandkids, six dogs. <laughs> um, and I'm just, I've been hunting since probably, what, 15 years? But really into it for the last 10 and really excited about it for the last 10 years. Wow. So we're a mini hats and congratulations on 40 years of marriage. That's, that's a good, a good, a good, big accomplishment, I should say. <laughs> it was really quick for me, but I don't know if it was quite as quick for Denny. <laughs> <laughs> Seems more like 50 or 60. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love it. Well, what about you, Denny? Well, I grew up with a bow hunting father. Uh, as early as I can remember, I started shooting a longbow at age three. And one of my earliest memories was hitting full draw. It was a, like a self bow. And that thing coming apart in the side yard, breaking at the bottom hinge and just throwing it down and looking at it. And I think that's why I'm still not really a big self bow guy today. <laughs> that dependability. But it was just one of those things that we did together. Uh, till the day he died and just every year went by I became more passionate about it uh, and one of my heroes was Fred Bear and, and Howard Hill guys like that going on those big big hunts and uh, I was never uh, the type of person to to not do adventures, which is a good thing, because I think a lot of people could have made the money I did and worked real hard and always saved it for 
oh, I don't have enough for to put the kids through college. What if something goes wrong? Uh, you have to kind of set a a bar for the for spending all that money on a hunt. My bar was always if I had enough money for my family to function and eat for a year, then I should go on a that was enough uh, safety cushion that I could go on a big hunt. And I think that allowed me to dream bigger and, and work harder so that I could do those hunts, but at the same time, not be selfish and take time from them, but also not be so worried about uh, saving every dime you ever make so you can retire with a bunch of money and, and nothing, nothing to, uh, show for it except money and not the adventures i've done uh, a lot of video uh video work also which allowed me to write off the adventures and writing and kind of made a little sideline of it that that also gave me more money because i i didn't have to claim the that as income because i blew it on the hunts but it's just it's definitely my lifestyle i don't bowl i don't hit the bars too much I don't do much of anything, no hobbies or activities other than that. Well, and when he went on all those adventures all over the world and I raised kids, and then once the kids grew up, he said to me, he said, if you'll be my hunting buddy, he said, I, you're the one I want to be my hunting buddy. So that was like the key. It's true love, right? Yeah, it, yeah you know, and lot more money if he takes me along but he said he, if i'd go he that was who he wanted to hunt with so that i took him up on it yeah and it's worse than uh everything costing double because we can't stay in a flea bag hotel or eat at mcdonald's so <laughs> it, it's definitely a little more than double but well worth it i'd love to be able to take i'd love to be able to take my wife um on hunts but i just don't think she's there yet you know, she's been bow fishing. That's kind of how you started out. But I don't think she's there to to kill, um, go out and hunt these um, uh, pretty little creatures. <laughs> it's, um, right. you know, you got to cross over there somewhere. I don't think she's ready yet, but maybe one day. I'm going to work on her, too. Yeah, it's, it's and, and part of it could be, for me, it was like, I really don't think I can do it. You know, I'm I'm a little person. I'm not very strong, and I just didn't think I could do it. But, you know, Denny was good friends with Ken Beck at Black Widow Bows, and he ordered me a bow, and Ken said, if Maria will go out and kill a deer with that bow, she can have it for free. And I'm very competitive, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. So, and I did. And, you know, that was awesome. Wow, that's a deal. That's the best deal on a bow I think I've ever heard. Isn't that awesome? That I mean, what better? That's great. Yeah, what a great guy. <laughs> yeah. And this the the point that Denny made around going and trying to do that, you know, sooner in life, and and not waiting until you have just uh, a, a certain amount of income coming in, and, and just setting goals and and saving money. I'm uh, trying to take that same approach. Uh, you know, having an early, or, or say having early, having a young family early in life at this point, trying to go on some hunts and uh, out of state or out of country. And I think that uh, what you said is true. You've got to, uh, if you want to do it, and it's, it is good to do it, start, I guess, start when you're younger so you have more time to do it. Um, you, know, it's, you just got to take that leap of faith and uh, and just go ahead and try it, right? And not wait. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I was talking to one of my buddies today. Almost every one of my close buddies is retired. I'm 63, and I was complaining to him, uh, well, it was yesterday, and he said, uh, you were out screwing around for years do, going on these big adventures while the rest of us were busting our butt. He said, you've been, you've almost had retirement. I don't feel sorry for you. So hopefully here in a couple of years, I can join him. But he's right. I, I got to experience a lot of adventures for a, a carpenter from Michigan. Well, it's, I'm sure it's been worth it. All those memories, uh, that they're, they're priceless, right? And the time that you got to do that and Marie being selfless and in her way of, uh, just raising the family while you're gone. I'm sure that was at times, especially when the kids were younger, that was probably a, uh, it was probably challenging at different times. Yeah. We had three in diapers at once. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Cause we have one biological son and we have three adopted kids wow. and the three, three adopted came pretty close together. They're just about like a year apart, but yeah, it was, it, but it was, it was my pride and joy, you know, our, our hats yeah. are off to you. That's some impressive i will say that because i've done it with one so far and there's been time that i didn't realize if my hair was falling out or if i was pulling it out you know is that type of moment marie's mom uh lived with with us for 11 years also so i got like son-in-law of the year because she thought i was the greatest thing ever and that really helped (laughs) ease the guilt because she lived with us and, and helped with the kids a lot and allowed me to leave guilt-free more than I would have been able to. It's awesome. Well, it was in God's plan. That's, um, I'm really, uh, I'm happy that you got to do that and you've got all these memories and stories that you can share with individuals. It's, uh, it's enlightening and inspiring. Denny, it sounds like you have mother-in-law of the year. <laughs> yeah. She did. The, I don't think the other son-in-laws wouldn't agree with you. <laughs> she, she was. Uh, she loved me, and I loved her. She was a uh, a special special lady. That's great, well, man. When you have a passion, it is um, it's great to have people around you that support that, especially when you care about something so much. And I know me and Matt, we have a a fire that burns in us to to shoot traditional archery and bow hunt and just be out in the woods. And uh, for the most part, I know my wife for the most part is she's on board and she supports it. And I know Matt's does too. So it's very important to have that, that network of, of support around you when something's really important to you like that. Well, it's awesome. And I think it's mutual because I never questioned Denny when he was going on all his hunts, he'd say, I'm going, I booked another hunt and I'd be like, okay. And but anything that I said or did with the kids, he wasn't like, oh, no, you can't do that. You know, it was it was mutual. So, yeah, important. worked out. It's good. That is, that is true. Very important to have that. Try to somewhat balance it if you can from passions and, and time away for yourselves. I think this transitions perfectly into the next question as to can you give us uh, some advice for booking destination hunts? around just how do you select a reputable outfitter well that'd be you <laughs> but we just learned a valuable lesson here last year we booked a, a, a hunt in montana i won't mention the guy's name but we two years ago we booked it right well we tr- tried yeah tried to schedule a hunt 
and didn't draw the tags. And then he said, well, if you send in a full a deposit, you'll draw your tags. And we sent in seven grand and never got a contract. So number one, never send any money to anybody. I don't care who it is without a contract that spells out what you're getting. But anyway, we ended up not drawing again. We have a bunch of plans for this year. So I just wanted the refund back and he would not send it back. So we had to go to the Montana Guide Association and the Better Business Bureau and we got our money back, but it could have been really disappointing for someone that busted their butt saving up that money to go on a hunt. And then the guy wouldn't give it back when you when you couldn't go. And we really didn't want to go after we heard some stories about him. So I would say word of mouth is good, but make sure it's somebody that's actually hunted there. If you're going on an international hunt, that's a little trickier. I think same thing, word of mouth. And uh, Neil Summers from Bowhunting Safari Consultants is 100% A1 gold if you're going somewhere that's not the United States. He's never led me wrong ever. If anything, it's been better than what he projected it and he took care of every step travel advice down to tipping how to get your trophies home he's he's a one i'm sure there's some other ones anything neil says i would go with anytime and and guys like that do it pope young guys or guys like me anybody's always welcome to call me or email me and ask advice about the hunt I've been on, and I don't sugarcoat anything. I just tell them how it is. So a little research goes a long way. Instead of going for the cheapest hunt or the best deal, I think you should look it over because many times those aren't the the best deal in the long run. That's good. Really good advice. All all those points that you've made. I've I've actually heard a few of those before. Let me ask you this in regards to, you know, something goes bad or it gets canceled or delayed or you can't go something, you change your mind. Have you ever uh, like had any dealt with trip insurance? I know on a trip that I had been on, it had been recommended. I don't know if it's, if it's worth the additional money or have you ever have you, if you have utilized it or, or paid for it, have you utilized it? I guess I should say. Yes. I didn't used to, but anymore, like with this COVID mess, uh, we just right now marie and i are leaving in three weeks for australia and we were supposed to go three years ago and we used a, a good uh gracie travel is a is a travel agency that's recommended by bow hunting safari consultants we had it booked and they got all our money back uh the place we were going i know the guy personally and i wasn't worried about our deposit but he he actually called up and said, hey, I feel bad about hold, holding this deposit, but I wanted Marie to see Australia. Eventually, that's on our bucket list. And I said, just hang on to it. And and three years later, we're going. But what's awful for people that are on a budget, our airfare, it's not even as good. It was just under 5000 for economy comfort class from here in Michigan over there and back when wow. we did it the first time, it's over 10,000 for coach now for both of us. Wow. So can you imagine this wonderful hunt? You're going to blow 10 grand in just airfare before you even pay start on the hunt. So that's going to really limit 
Well, and we got the travelist insurance for this one because it had been canceled like three times. I mean, this is the fourth time we've tried to go. So we're like, just in case COVID comes back again or so, yes. Yeah. And, and it's just not as when I started, it was before 9-11. We'd fly all over the place and it was so much easier. And it's it's just become increasingly worse. And it, I think as you age, you get more impatient. I just get tired of the security lines and cancel flights and stuff. But I think so, too, yeah, if you, tra- I, you travel a lot, you get sure. tired of that. Yeah. Uh, that in that flight, what was the flight time? Because I'll say if it was a, a pretty long flight, as I can imagine, there's a big difference between coach and comfort plus. I do know that, especially <laughs> if you're a little bit larger than the average size person. Yeah, I, I weigh two plenty, and those seats are not. <laughs> I could, at least if Marie sat next to me, I can overlap into her space a little. But. So she yeah, enjoys I, that. It's like 16 and a half hours from Los Angeles, isn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah. Wow, wow. So I'll have cankles before it's over. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So what what has been your top destination, hunt? If you had to pick one to either do it, You've done it multiple times or to keep doing it again and again. Could you say, could you pick one? Could you put your finger on one? What would that be and why? Uh, I think for the repeatability, it'd have to be Africa because I've been there 15 times. Wow. It's a a big country or a big continent. And I've hunted a bunch of the countries. And if I could, I'd go back every year and visit someplace new. Part of my my adventures. I love to go someplace where I know what I'm get, getting into, but it'd be fun to just every year just go someplace new and hunt a new species and meet new people. And and I've hunted every continent except, of course, Antarctica. There's nothing to shoot or no open season on penguins or anything yet. So, <laughs> but uh, and I've loved them all, but I think Africa is the one that's called called the most, and that's probably the, where I wanted to take Marie the most. Well, and we went to Namibia to the, it's Damara, is it Dick Dick? Damara, Dick Dick Safaris. Yeah. And I like princess hunts. So I would say if you want to get your wives involved in hunting, you need to take them on a princess hunt because it was the first time I ever hunted all day long. I'd never had done, sat in a blind for the whole day. But they like bring you your lunch. They, when you get out of hunting, you go back to a hot shower and a beautiful chalet and you get wonderful seven course meals and they serve you drinks. And it, yeah, it was awesome. They had a Sniffmeister at this place where if you screwed up, which, you know, whatever it was that you did, you screwed up, you had to take this Sniffmeister and it was like snuff, right? It yeah. was a little a thing that they, snuff hit with a hammer that you had to snort up your nose and it was like horrifying like you cried (laughs) but it was so much fun (laughs) how many times did you mess up after that after you did that oh probably every night there was something they would make something up they just wanted but it was they i mean it was the most wonderful experience i i can't even explain if you're sitting in michigan and you're lucky if you see a deer a turkey a woodchuck a squirrel 
And sitting there, you saw zebra, elan, kudu, impala, baboons. I mean, it was like, how is this really real? See, I have not, I've not heard of a princess hunt. So that is tailored, like for a a situation where you might bring, uh, like a a spouse, or it's more a luxurious hunt. Are you you calling it that, or is that what it was called when you booked it? I'm calling it, but it's because okay. it's the, the only but, ones that I want to go on. We went to the Yucatan and hunted um, oscillated turkeys, and it was another princess hunt because you they you know greet you when you come in with a corona. They put you in these chalets. You have a hot shower. They feed you these gourmet meals, but you go hunt your butt off. You know you spend the day doing you know hunting, but you get this wonderful treatment. <laughs> I'm not into like staying in a tent and pooping in the outdoors, you know, in a. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, you're not the only one. I can guarantee you if I asked ask my wife to go and I told her we'd be doing that, I, I could just name one of those things you just named and it would have been over with. I don't care how good after, after the fact it would have been, but that branding, you need to, you need to brand that the princess hunt. Somebody <laughs> needs to use that. <laughs> Well, this place, like the Yucatan place, had a little swimming pool, and you'd go sit by the pool, and the guys would make you these fancy drinks and bring them out to you. You know, it was just, so it was just like the best of both worlds. It was good. Good. Those are the good hunts. Matt, I need yeah. I need you to take me on a princess hunt at one of your properties <laughs> this year, man. I just want uh-huh. you to set me up and, and, uh, and but, take me out there. Well, but you, now, you are pretty high maintenance. Uh, I know. I hear it all the time. I want to talk about, you said the baboons. Did y'all hunt any of the baboons out there in Africa? Oh, I would have. I wanted to. I have not seen baboons, and they had one stand that was called the baboon stand, and it's actually pretty funny because, you know, you have a pH that sits with you all day and um, videos you when you shoot the animals and different times, but So he took me to this baboon place and they literally were climbing on the, on the hut and coming in the window, staring at me. I was like scared out of my mind. They were shaking it, but I never, I never got a good shot at them. I mean, I probably saw a hundred of them, but they were very particular and I was very particular about the shot that I would take and I just never got a chance. Yeah, I know some of those baboons, they can be, uh, especially the big dominant males, can be really, really fierce. Um, that's that's why I've asked. I've seen a couple of guys hunt them on, uh, on TV and stuff, and I thought, I've always thought that would be a cool hunt to go on. Yeah, I've got one mounted that's glaring at us right now, a big male. <laughs> I, I think they're, they're really a cool trophy. And yeah, they are. Princess, yeah, they're neat. Those her princess hunts, that's an example of, a, I just want to point people in the right direction. Neil Summers, I told Neil what I wanted to do for Marie, and he recommended the the turkey hunt, and they those guys were super accommodating in the Namibia hunt, which is actually fair chase, by the way. A lot, most South Africa hunts are not fair chase there. They, it could be a big area fenced in, but they're all fenced in, and the, the Damara, Dick Dick Safaris, all they do is bow hunts and it's free range and the, the people that own it and the people that work there are 
just incredible. Awesome. So awesome. Now, what was y'all's favorite species? If I know that you can use it when you go to Africa, there's an abundant amount of species. I think of what I've heard on a lot of the hunts, you can decide what species you want to target, especially if you're sitting in like a watering hole blind. Was there any species that you you were just, hey, I really want to harvest this. I want to have an opportunity or I didn't have an opportunity and I'd, I'd love to go back and, and do that over again. Well, I was really lucky because it was my one and only hunt. And Denny said, you shoot whatever you want to shoot. And so I shot six animals in Africa. Wow. And, um, it, you know, but my kudu, which was so awesome, I shot, I, we, the, almost all of them were at watering holes and I shot it at, and it died like what, 30 yards, 40 yards from the blind. I watched it go down It was, and it's on video. It was like the most, I literally went to my knees and cried because it was such a beautiful animal and it was just such a, I don't know how I was so blessed to get such a perfect shot. And that was like truly, I, I just amazing. I can imagine. I bet that was special for Denny to be in there and it was worth the additional funds to, to make sure you're <laughs> on that trip with him. So with that being said, I want to know your setup. So you said you're, you're a little bit smaller uh, and so you worried about strength and size and being able to do this when you first started out. So I'd love to know now, and obviously those muscles being uh, the muscles you draw a bow with are often different, even if you're active and work out. And so I'm sure now those have gotten stronger over the years. But when you were in Africa, what did your setup look like to be able to successfully? I know you made a great shot on that cutie, but what was your setup like, like arrow weight? And what was your draw weight on your bow? Well, Denny has to say most of that because he's my nerd. I am like he sets me up and I shoot. That's okay. <laughs> but, that's that's what we all need one of those. <laughs> yeah, I'm very fortunate. So, well, her she was shooting a Black Widow PSR, forty pounds at twenty eight. She probably pulled twenty four, which is not much. Five hundred grain carbon arrow, uh, two hundred fifty grains up front. And the broadhead on that was a grizzly. And but it was micro tuned. She shot bullet holes through paper consistently. She put it where it was supposed to go. Yeah, and you know, the guy that that the it was one of the owners that sat with me every day and they were very particular about the shot that you took. I mean, you waited until the animal put its leg forward and you know, it told you exactly where to shoot and it was it's great. That sounds like a great outfitter. Awesome. Yeah, he was concerned because yes, he was. At first, and <laughs> by the second day, he's like, "She's better than the compound girls," and they <laughs> they took her on on the, to all the places they because they knew she would hold up under the heat of battle. She did a really great job. It was fun to be there, and and what an adventure. Mm. Sure, I can only imagine. That's great. I lo- I love that y'all got to do that together. And, and like Tim said, it sounds like uh, it would be a, a good opportunity for us. We get our wives one day to go at some point. And it's funny, we actually have talked about Africa 
about one of those being the trips. I've heard that even if your wife goes, or your spouse goes and they're not a big hunter, even spending a day or half a day in the blind and then going and seeing like if you can go in town. And I think some of the outfitters are real big on uh, taking you to see like the local school and, and the hospital and just like the community and the culture and just getting exposed to that is special because it is a lot different than here. That's a, a point. I took my son, John, when he was, uh, I think, had he just turned 15? Mm-hmm. But as a young man, uh, again, my whole family could have went. Uh, we had done some video work for this guy that owned a place in Namibia, and he said, bring your family, no charge. <laughs> and no one, no one wanted to go except my oldest son. I can't believe that the, the other kids went to basketball camps or whatever they wanted to do, and Marie wouldn't go. I think she didn't want to leave the kids behind, but I think that changed my son, oldest son's life forever. He also shot six animals on video with the recurve wow. bow, his first trip. And we wow. went to schools with me. And, and one of the things I remember this, we pulled in the PH had a Diker and a Impala in the back of the truck and a little trailer and a cooler. And he, he was going to donate this, this, uh, meat to the school. And, uh, it was a lady, she was the headmaster and he opened it up and she just burst into tears, started crying. They almost had to pick her up. You know, she said, this is from like a gift from God. She said, these kids, this is most of these kids. This is the only meal they ever get to eat. Mm. So they were going to make movie and they would dip their mealy meal in it. A buddy of mine brought his girlfriend and she had a whole bunch of gifts for the kids. She's a, she was a school teacher and she had, Oh, just tons of stuff, notebooks and pens. And I don't even remember all the stuff, but a lot of really good stuff. And she said, I'd love to give these all out today. But she said, no one ever brings us anything. She said, if, if I guarantee that each kid will get something, but I, if I can make this last for a year. So she said, I hope you don't mind. Wow. And then we went to each classroom and each class sang for us. And it was unbelievable, their songs. And I think that we all left with a sense of uh, what a true po- poverty is really like and how blessed we are to live here and uh-huh. be able to do something to change your life. But I think my son, John, uh, he got into University of Mi- Michigan, I think, through his essays on on stuff like that it, it wow, that impactful mind. yeah uh, i can so, imagine how impactful it was and that a lot of those kids i mean you you did something for them that was so impactful that here it would have been something that didn't even seem that big of a deal just a, a very just a kind gesture right and to see that i'm sure was fulfilling for all of y'all and, and for those kids even more it's funny my wife is actually a teacher and so when i heard about that i could only imagine you know, how she would, how she would feel and just, uh, you know, how it would, it would touch her heart to be able to go and do that. I'm sure it would be emotional too. knowing my wife, there'd probably be a lot of tears, which I think that would be normal for anybody. Yeah. It makes you question if she's, if you should be, uh, going on the big adventure, jet setting all over and, and doing that. But again, all those, those hunting areas are a conservation effort also, because most of it would be cattle and if it wasn't for hunting, that hunting is the most 
if you want wildlife to thrive, hunters have done more than anyone else. So, well, it right. supports the people, the local people. Yeah, I mean, but you're right. Yeah, good, the good jobs. Right, right. Food yeah. for the families. Yeah, it's probably some of the biggest, uh, from an economy standpoint, the biggest uh, just overall overhead income they have in some of those areas, I would say, especially from something that's not local. For sure. So let me ask, what for y'all do you love the most about now sharing this passion with one another, being in this stage of life? The kids are grown, you've got grandkids, you're able to go. You got that freedom. What do you what do you love most about it? Inside 20 is brought to you by traditional bow hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more information. And by Big Jim Bow Company, the place for custom bows, handmade leather goods, and much more to meet your traditional archery needs. Check them out at bigjimbowcompany.com. Gunshy Archery, the perfect custom-made quiver for both two and three blade broadheads. Check them out at gunshirearchery.com. VPA Broadheads. Precision machined one-piece broadheads. Two and three blade mode is available. Check them out at vparchery.com. Custom King Archery. The best price on the best traditional archery products since 1972. Check them out at customkingarchery.com. Triple T Strings, created champion level Flemish and endless strings for hunters and target shooters using the best materials. Check them out at TTT Strings on Facebook. Well, we spend a lot of time together. You know, I work for Denny now. I gave up nursing in 2020 and I'm now his secretary. <laughs> um, so basically gopher, I do about everything. But anyhow, we spend so much time together and it's so nice that both of us are like, okay, let's go hunting. And, you know, when we go hunting, we here at home, my favorite is to just walk out the back door and go up a tree or in a blind or whatever. And we're constantly like, that sounds bad. Here we are hunting, but we're texting each other back and forth about what's going on. So it's just like we're focused on the same thing, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, she's become the like the 14 year old kid she if she's not around the house and i can't find her she's out stalking woodchucks <laughs> that's yeah. that's amazing she, yeah it's that's what he, it's said. he said you're like me when i was eight years old because he's like where are you and i'm like i'm walking around looking for chipmunks and woodchucks <laughs> so it's like i can't stand it I don't know. I'm just, it's amazing that the passion now that you have for it and at this point in, in your life and you're able to share that with one another. It's, it's really special. I don't think it's, it's very common. You don't see that often. Uh, especially like if you, if you've had you know, different responsibilities through life and, uh, and you've, you've been married that long and then your kids are gone and, and now it's a it kind of a full circle. It seems like for, for both you and it's, it's great to see that it really is. It's amazing. What about this? Any advice for couples that, that do share the same or similar hobbies? It didn't even have to be traditional bow hunting. Uh, and then like, just how do they balance that, especially with taking care of young families? What were some, what were maybe some pointers that, that y'all might share that helped, helped you earlier in life? I think the biggest thing for me is that, I mean, my whole goal in life was to have kids. And, you know, it took us like six years to get our bio our oldest son. 
And then I could not have any more kids. And, you know, we started on the adoption process. And so it's really, it just happened with us that I was so focused on the kids. That's all I wanted to do. And I really didn't care that Denny wanted to pursue hunting and stuff going on those trips all the time. Um, It would have been really difficult if I would have gotten focused on hunting because I've become so obsessed with it now. If I I couldn't have done that and been a very good mom, you know, I had my oops, like a cup. One time I left my youngest, my daughter at a middle schooler. I bet she was only about nine or 10. I was supposed to pick her up at the middle school. She was staying after school for something and I forgot and went hunting but luckily, my oldest son was a driving. <laughs> he was able to rescue her because I was in a tree. But I don't That's, know. That is funny. That is a good story. <laughs> I've actually, we've had that happen where we think one of the others picking up our daughter, and, and you next thing you know, you get somebody's getting a phone call. It's like five thirty. Where are you at? I'm like, oh, I'm over here. Aren't you getting getting her? No, I thought you were. So in the last, you do feel. You feel a little awkward. You walk in, and they're they're the last child that's in there. And they're like, "There's a there's a teacher standing back waiting for you to get there, like kind of tapping their feet, waiting on you." Ooh, yeah. <laughs> my parents left my little sister at the park one time, and they all got home and uh, was unloading the car. And you know, there were six of us kids, so it was easy to miss one. And got inside and was relaxing, and they were like, "Wait, <laughs> where's Mallory? We're missing one." He took off back to the park. It was before cell phones and all that stuff. We still talk about that to this day. Oh, it's terrible. And when <laughs> I, when my, my oldest son was in prom, he was a senior, and I was turkey hunting because I was, like, having this turkey passion. I had to kill this turkey. And he had the prom, and I'm sitting in the turkey blind, and one of my friends is texting me, your son just got nominated or awarded king of the prom and I'm like oh god here I am in a turkey blind I didn't even go because I was like so obsessed with so I don't know (laughs) that's okay it's it's happened with everybody that's that's nothing wrong with that I mean there's a reason that movie was so popular home alone let's be honest like it was relatable (laughs) because there's a lot of people that have probably done the same thing in some way or shorter fashion and maybe just didn't admit it yeah It is hard. It is hard. It's very difficult. It's it's challenging. I think even if you don't have passions, uh, no matter how many children you have, it's it's hard to balance it. It's uh, Mm -hmm. you have to be intentional. I feel like is what I'm trying. At least I'm 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 early in this the uh, that that first season of life with a young family and trying to learn you know more of my place and how I can do better. Um, and I think just the intentionality, especially from a, a spouse uh, standpoint, you know, if you're doing that and being intentional and, and trying to make time for one another and trying to pinpoint, you know, sometimes passions change and trying to align those passions. I think that's where you have that, even if it's watching a show together at night and being attentive during that. I think it's super helpful uh, just long term because then you get to the stage that you are in and uh, you know, th- hopefully you have something that you both share and love to do and, and still know one another after you know, 40 years of being married. Exactly. This question is for you, Marie. Any advice for any females on the fence about trying traditional bow hunting or just bow hunting in general? Oh, well, I say go for it because I never dreamed that I could kill anything. And now, like Denny's taken me like on 
beach vacations. We went to Hawaii. We went to Alaska. We went to Spain. I've got to do some like fantastic things. And I said, after doing all those things and going to Mexico, to Yucatan and to Africa, I said, I don't want to go on any of those beach things anymore. I want to go somewhere I can kill something. (laughs) I mean, it's like, try it because I never dreamed I could do it. I didn't think I could kill anything. I mean, personally, me just kill something. I wasn't against it, but I didn't think I could do it. But that excitement that's there when you've practiced and you've tried and here comes that dough or that buck or that turkey and the heartbeat and the wobbly legs and the, it's awesome. I mean, you got to learn to do some weird things. You got to learn to poop in Ziploc bags and use a tinkle bell and be in blinds with men, some men that don't even speak English. And it's, but it's like so absolutely eye opening and wonderful. Try it. Wow. Well, that is so inspiring and i think that it is is true in every fashion of life i think oftentimes we we sit on our hands unfortunately and we we often let doubt get in the way our fear and we don't step out and give it a try and what you've done is uh it, it speaks volumes as to you, you you're living you're living that life now and it's great to see really fun so i want to backtrack a little bit and all these, all these destination hunts and, and stuff y'all go on has me wondering, do y'all, do y'all have time to hunt whitetail anymore? Or do y'all, um, <laughs> y'all kind of let that go? That's, that's probably our number one passion awesome. still. And the nice thing, I hate talking about all destination hunts. That's another great thing about traditional archery. If someone took away all our money and ability to travel and do all that, we could we can hunt here at home and I don't think I, I might regret a little bit, but we have a lot of adventure right here in our 200 acres. There's always something to do somewhere to go, something to learn in, in that, in a small piece of property with a traditional bow. Oh, absolutely. uh, The whitetails will probably be the, I grew, I started out hunting them and I'm sure that if I am fortunate enough to be an old man, that'll be the last thing I the last big gay man on my hunt too, just like my dad. So, well, that that's great, man. Um, if you had if you had one story um, in recent years, favorite whitetail hunt, what would you pick? My favorite one is probably a, a Illinois buck. I I saw this big ten point with a fly tying, and I thought it was Boone and Crockett. I'd seen it three or four times. I, I went down there. I had a place I could hunt. It was 85 acres, and I'd been hunting down there 15 years. And an old man, he he owned it, and he liked me, and I wrote a, several articles about hunting there, but I kept seeing this wide. I called it the wide 10, but it was actually an 11. But it never quite showed up where I was, and I hunted two weeks solid. And then the last day of the season was November 16th. Well, the last day of the bow season before gun season opened. And I always remember Gene Wenzel said, 
November 16th was his luckiest day. And there was a little piece of hard, there's hardwoods on this property and there's the, like the highest point on the property. I've seen a big buck up there three times and it was far enough away from all my other stands. I could just catch a glimpse, but I could tell it was a big buck. And the, the day before the last day, I, I just went, it was blowing and raining and I pulled all my stands and took one of them and put it on that high point and backed out. And I was, my plan was to hunt there all day. I was going to put all my eggs in one basket and give it one final hoorah. And I, the front, the front went through and it was like crystal clear the next morning and crispy. And I was up that stand before daylight and I could hear something crunching coming toward me kind of in the half light, kept hearing it, kept hearing it. Daylight came, shooting hours come. And I'd look through my binoculars, hear that sucker's coming right straight toward me. And it's up, this is the highest point. So it's looking left, looking right, looking for does. And it just kept coming head on, head on, head on. And it walked right, absolutely right under me to the base of my tree. And I'm up there. I felt like a stick of margarine on a steel grate, like I was going to melt right through the tree stand. And the thing's right there. Then it looks right up and looks me right in the eyes. And I just thought, Lord, <laughs> help me from just falling out of the stand. And it was, it, I think it saw me or recognized me and it took two steps backwards and there's still no shot. I, I'm not going to shoot a deer straight down. Too many bad things happen. And uh, it took two steps back, and then it just started turned and started walking away real slow. And I let it get out there, so I had an angle where I could take both lungs and leaned leaned over, pulled back the longbow and shot, and just dropped it. With went right through its spine and dropped it. Of course, put another one in it, but I climbed down. I still remember just dropping to my knees in the hard hardwood leaves and praying thanking God for, because I'd hunted so hard and it was the biggest buck I'd ever seen. I, at the, I thought at the time it, it, it was uh, 163, but boy, it sure looked like a Boone Crockett and it was a beautiful buck. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That deer is, looks up and does that. And I, I, and in that moment, I'm sure you weren't moving. You might've been shaking a little bit, but it, to me, it's just the mm-hmm. dangest thing for those things just to look up. It's like the sixth sense that they have for whatever reason, mind their own business. And let's just look straight up in the air. And I've had it happen plenty of times. And then they start backpedaling and you just think your, your, st- your stomach just drops. It's a bad feeling. Yeah. It was a, just a, like a emotional rush. Just, I could almost feel its presence it's awesome that you remember that story because i am notorious for when i get excited i don't remember (laughs) anything that happens in the moment so i'm just kind of like making up what happened yeah he he came in here on a string but really i don't remember because i get so excited and i just i'm honed in so that's good you can remember those stories because i'm not great at that i love that because that's exactly how i am Danny's like where'd you get it what'd you do what'd you do and i'm like i don't know i don't remember it's hard to put all that together at the time. It is. It is. You have to, it's, it's that mental checklist that everyone talks about. Maybe I'm simple minded, but it takes up my whole brain going through that mental checklist. And I'm, 
you know, I'm honed in whether it, whether it be hunting or anything else I get excited about, you know, we have deer season and it's quickly approaching down here in Georgia. Can you share some different tactics you use to find and set up on mature whitetails in early season? The best thing you can do is if you have a stand that's kind of crappy and you're not sure if it's any good, put your wife in it with a pair of binoculars. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's dirty. That's not going to happen over here. She, she ain't going out there with me. Not now. We got a one-year-old at home and she ain't, she's not going to leave him. <laughs> well, we're out constantly. It's, you know, you can't just do anything. Like we have a, a electric golf cart that we ride around the farm now all the time. And you think we're just going for a relaxing ride. Well, we're stopping like in every 10 minutes because Denny's like, well, look at that trail. Well, look at here. Look at this rub. Look at that. <laughs> so you're checking it out all year long. He's checking out what's happening with the deer for sure. But early season here, if it's really dry, deer drink every day. So water is a has always been a really big thing here that's underrated. I have a buddy, Rich Niblock. Uh, he's my partner in traditional vision quest. He's killed more big bucks in Michigan with a bow than anybody I know. And he's killed 10 or 11 of those early, like the first through the 5th of October off water. Because those big bucks will get thirsty and they will get up and they will come to water in the, in the evening. So early water can be a big deal. Later on in the year, I, I'm still the biggest believer in downwind side of the thickest cover on the on the place. Everybody's seen the does. When uh, they start breeding, the does will hide from the bucks. They're sneaking around with their tails clamped down over their their stuff. So <laughs> protect themselves, and they'll get in that thick cover. And then if you get on the downwind side when they're moving on high pressure. Those bucks will cruise that downwind side because they can cover the whole thicket. And they know everything that's inside that thicket. And if you're there waiting in a good stand where they they won't see you and, and they'll come they'll come by and it's paid off time after time or or almost a lot of almost, but I just I've seen it so much that I believe in that strategy everywhere I've hunted, which is a lot of different states and terrain yeah when those does come in it's it is game on and it's it's good to have a it's good to have some tactics uh, up your sleeve some tricks yeah and our so, best stand i always tell marie if you have 15 does walk right by you and they don't know you were there a lot of times i'll just back off and and go back when they when the rut starts because you know that's a great stand if if 15 does went through there before rut 15 does are going to go through there again, and there's going to be a buck on their tail, probably the biggest, biggest, well, bigger ones. And I can tell you one thing. If you're hunting during the rut, you do not shoot a doe. Because, like, if you just I happen to know someone who maybe missed a buck during the rut and got pissed off, so she shot the next doe that came through, <laughs> I learned that, you don't shoot during <laughs> the rut because <laughs> hey, those are hard somebody, lessons learned. <laughs> it was a hard lesson because I knew that she died the doe and 
Danny's like, I'll get down and I'll help you. And I'm like, no, I know she's dead. I can do it by myself. And he's like, no, I'm getting down. Well, we have trail cameras. So he got down in the trail to help me get my dough. When I said, no, I can get it by myself. And like 15 minutes later, the biggest buck on the farm walked under his tree stand. Oh, Oh, goodness. Dog camp should be illegal. <laughs> it should be. That's, yeah, it'll uh, hurt your feelings. That's for sure. Mm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, you're bringing up bad memories for me. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, Denny, I want to ask you this question: Do you have any advice for someone just getting into traditional bow hunting? How to navigate uh, everything that you you know you need? I mean, how, how do you figure that out? Well. <laughs> Marie kind of got a little lesson here just last week on that. I'd like to her to say something that, if if possible, a mentor is awesome. If someone was going to get in and I didn't, I wasn't close enough to them. I'd I'd say join Professional Bowhunter Society. Reach out to some of the members in your area and. If it's like all the guys around here, if you if you show a little interest and you're a young guy, they will welcome you and teach you everything they know. And there's great hunts to go on that are affordable and connections. When when I was a young guy, I could call up Gene Wenzel, Roger Rothar, and check about hey, where's a good place to go elk hunting or antelope hunting or what do you think about this quiver or bow and those guys would open up and they they were the celebrities and i don't think that's changed pbs is a is a great starting point for to launch your bow hunting career especially traditional another thing you want to do i i I want marie to share this because she i think she had a real eye-opening experience about about a Rod Jenkins clinic. Yeah. I mean, I've been shooting with Denny since we met, and which is over 40 years ago. And I'm weak. I'm, I'm 116 pounds, 5'2". And my bow, when I shoot, I had to do a push-pull mo- motion because my arms just aren't very strong. Well, finally, after all these years, Denny convinced me to go to Rod's, Rod Jenkins uh, Archery Clinic. So I did, what, almost two weeks ago. And I was absolutely amazed. Uh, I can't believe that I've killed as much as I've killed because it, the, his techniques that he showed you make so much sense for doing everything the same every time instead of you know, changing a little bit with your push pull and all the anchor points and everything that I never thought about. But it, it's amazing. I gained two inches of draw length, right? Right. I mean, it's so if somebody was starting out and you had the opportunity to do something like a Rod Jenkins clinic, I would say jump on, do it because you'll learn more than you could ever imagine even after 15 20 years 40 years of shooting a bow unbelievable if i can put it to you (laughs) that's 
Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome advice. I mean, two inches of draw length, that's that's a lot. So he must have found some kind of flaw in your um uh in, in what you were doing to to get that out of you. I had so many flaws that I mean, I was literally I know here I am, I'm a princess. I was in almost in tears. There's supposed to be no whining at this class, but I was like, I can't do this. I mean, what he's telling that it's not comfortable. <laughs> and he's like, who said it's supposed to be comfortable? You know, <laughs> you just need to do it. And it is amazing that once you get in that groove, you can do it, but you've done it wrong for so many years or a different way for so many years. It just doesn't seem right. But in two weeks, I've improved like beyond, I can't even say how much I've improved. It's awesome. And you've been shooting, yeah, you yeah. said, when you first met Denny. So that's been over 40 years, correct? And and been able to come yeah. back and change in two weeks and, and make that big of an improvement. I thought there was a saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I guess that doesn't apply, huh? Oh, I know. And it was I literally, it was so painful that you would not even believe how painful it was um, to try and make the changes that he wanted me to make. But it, in the long run, it was, it's been amazing. I, I just can't even say how amazing it's been, the difference. He, he's held it the last two years, or he does it all over, but he's come to our house and given a clinic the last two years. And um, it's like eight hours the first day and then four hours the second day. And it's, it is just amazing, just amazing. I asked people- Rod, I think. Why would she listen to you and not me? And he goes, buddy, you said you can't coach anyone you're sleeping with. (laughs) (laughs) That's good advice. That's very true. That's very true. Also, your your kids, too. It's like you you take your kids to sport lessons. I've been telling you that same thing, and now I'm paying $50 an hour for somebody else to tell you the same thing. If this isn't isn't theft, I don't know what is, right? Exactly. So where would somebody find out about that class if they're interested in it to sign uh, up? They can give Rod a, a, a call or an email. He's just Rod Jenkins Archery. and But he's the same way. Rod don't need your money. If he's doing a clinic, I, I know a lot of people reach out to him. And he's got a, a, a program on the push called the Roots. Him and Jackie, or Jackie, uh, Jimmy uh, Blackman. It's an online course, and you can watch that course and then ask them questions, and they'll reply. Uh, of course, she's been in all our Masters of the Bare Bow things, and you can get that on the push now also. But if you just called, 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 he's a call guy. If you called him up and told him, hey, I'm a young guy, and I want to learn how to shoot, he, you could – and if the guy had no money, he, you could send him video and he would help you. He's That's the kind of guy Rod Jenkins is. A good guy. Yeah, and it's all art. It's not no tricks or anything. It's just basic archery principles that get you into alignment. And when you're in alignment, you're more free to, you can use your bones to hold the bow at full draw and aim and, and uh, you just become more consistent, a better shot. I think Marie's found that out. And the bad thing about that is for me and all my buddies that 
like to shoot with Marie on the range, we're going to have to up our game. <laughs> All right. And no betting money now, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, I'll be doing dishes forever if we start doing that. So it's like. <laughs> Oh, it's all right to get beat. it's all right to get beat by your wife, man. You know, you just have to accept it. <laughs> yeah, I can take it. As long yeah, as you're shooting good. That, yeah, exactly. That's that's part of life, I I would think. So, you know, this is a question we ask most all of our guests, and it's um what's the average yardage on successful shots you made with your bow? 10, <laughs> 10 12, under 15. I most everything I think I've ever shot has been no farther than 20 yards, but mostly under, mostly 15 or under for me. That's, that's great. That's a great, um, that's a great standard to have for sure. And it takes a lot of discipline. Yeah. And I'm, our shots, if, when I set up a tree stand, I look at everything and we used to hunt higher. So I would make the, shots a little longer but we're as we've get, gotten older and discovered how to find better trees out i hate to say i'm hunting good a good tree but i know how to find a, a good tree that has a lot of cover we have a lot of pressure in michigan and these things are on uh caffeine or something on speed yeah. after with all these early firearm seasons so but as we've come lower i I used to set up for 14 yard shot was the best shot. Now I can get down to 10 because we're lower and the angles good. So you can take out both lungs, but that's probably most of our stuff is set up for the 10, 12 yard shot. Like I said, that takes a lot of discipline and it's, I've said it once before. It's, it's a lot of guys can go and pick a block of woods they want to hunt in, but you know, traditional archery, you kind of, you have to pick the tree very wisely and it comes down to almost a, a singular tree that you can, that works best, you know? So, um, not rushing a shot and definitely, definitely staying inside that 20 yard range is, is very important. It's important to me and Matt and, you know, we try to, we try to replicate that as much as we can. Yeah. And that's that woodsmanship thing where you spend a lot of time watching deer during season and scouting and looking at the sign and thinking about the thermals. And I, I've been doing it so long. I always say, I can't believe someone didn't see this or that. I'm constantly, Marie looks at me and she's starting to get it now, but there's so many things that become obvious when you spend all these seasons. And, and I've got to hunt with some of the very finest whitetail hunters that ever hunted the, uh, a white tail. I'm very blessed. And I think maybe some of that's rubbed off and you forget what you didn't know when you were starting out where you just, I don't know what, what I was looking for, but I was, was looking for something that I didn't understand, I guess, when I started. But if you're dedicated and passionate and you become a student, as Gene Wenzel and Roger Rother kind of, they wrote those, the, their books in the day. And if you read them, you it opened a lot of uh doors and, and let you think more creative than you would have so it's a it's a, almost a science but it's a the 
a love of it also because you're willing to put the time in and think about it and you, you dream about it and then all of a sudden you can walk through a property just like Barry Wenzel. He, I think he could walk through a property and say, hunt this tree during the run on a southwest wind. You'll probably kill the biggest buck here. I th- and I think it's, he's right. Yeah, that was that was beautifully said. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah, it's um having all those tactics is very important for sure. So I wanna I wanna close this and and um, ask one last question since deer season is right around the corner. I mean it'll it'll be here before we know it. Anything you do now in your practice or prep for a hunt you wish you could have told your younger self? Take Rod's class <laughs> in the beginning <laughs> and. Uh, I think the I've really grown with uh, Sitka gear because I was so limited because I froze to death in Michigan. I could only hunt the first couple weeks of season because by the time it starts getting too cold, I was constantly freezing. And um, you know, you know, finding the right gear, finding the right clothes for a woman, especially. I I mean, I'm going to say a woman. I I was in a tree one morning and um, it was freezing and I wanted to, Denny was in the, another tree and he was drinking coffee and just, you know, like, oh, this is all wonderful. And I'm like, if I drink coffee, I've got to pee and I've got a harness on, I've got all these clothes on. How am I going to do that? And, you know, I emailed right there in the tree. I emailed Sitka and I said, you know, you've got to help a woman out. You know, we've got this issue. We can't take care of ourselves in a tree like a man can. And, you know, they came through and they created gear for women so that you could actually urinate without undressing in a tree. And so, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that I think learn all you can about shooting and then get the right gear, the right clothing early so that you can spend more time in the tree. I guess. That's great advice. Yeah. And that carries over to us, us guys too. I mean, uh, we still, Hey, we still get cold. I know I do down here in Georgia <laughs> when it, when it really gets cold, it's that wet cold that just, it, it creeps up under your clothing and it, you know, it gets chilly. Um, your fingers are go numb. So uh, no, we get it. We don't have the cold like y'all, but you know, for us boys that, that like the heat when it, when it does drop down, it, it gets chilly. But that's great advice. Yeah, when when I've hunted down south, when it gets cold down south, it's bone chilling cold. That's I don't. It's colder. It feels colder down there when it gets cold than it does in Michigan. We have we might have two foot of snow, but it's almost a dry cold, so it doesn't go to your bones. It's it almost feels warm when there's snow. Oh yeah, that ain't that's not the way it is down here. When it's cold, yeah, it's it's cold, and that wind will howl, and like I said, mm-hmm. that wet cold will it'll it'll go right up under your clothes. There's been many a mornings I've wanted to to crawl down and just go home. Like, hey, I left hot hands at the house to come out here and freeze in the woods, and this is this is not it. But you know, I guess that's part of the passion. It is. Get your heated socks and your and your electric hand warmers, we love those now, right? I have a heated vest I put under all my stuff. So it it makes it 
it would have made me be able to hunt a lot more when I was younger if I would have known. I had to dress in everything I owned and still froze to death. You know, and now I can do it and be comfortable and actually sit a long time and get through it. I think a lot, too, with gear has changed uh, in the sense there has always been warm, like wool type of uh, gear that has been around for ages. But your gear, like you're mentioning, it is expensive and you pay for it. But it's uh, it's it doesn't a lot of it's made for somebody shooting a bow. The the inside of the arms, the forearms are are not real baggy, so you're not getting that string slap, and it's lighter weight. And there's technology now that are integrated into clothing and socks and the, the heated vest and the hand warmers and uh, your your feet and all that stuff with insoles. None of that existed years ago. I mean, before I, I remember at one point you had a hand warmer uh, that it was you would light it right, and then you'd put it in a bag. You know, my grandfather had one of those, and I've still got it. Uh, so I mean, it's come a long way since then. Yeah, we my dad and I used to hunt uh, late season, and I remember one time the wind chill was sixty five below, and there was a couple feet of snow. We we drove his pickup in where the deer were yarded up, and it was so cold, we just left it running. So he made sure he had a full tank of gas. <laughs> and you'd leave it running because there's no way that thing's going to start. <laughs> and we went out in our, the best you could buy. And just when, when you climbed down and you met each other to talk about what you saw, you couldn't even talk. You just, just suffered. But, it, yeah, there's... It's worth paying a little extra to stay comfortable. A lot of times now, if if I don't think the big buck's coming by, I lose my interest uh, out hunting. And Maria will stay for forever to, if we need another doe. To sh- she'll just stay. But my buddies will call me. It's eleven o'clock, and hey, what'd you see today? And well, I saw whatever. And what Marie say see? And I, I don't know. She's still out hunting. <laughs> So I'm out, my buddies are out, Marie's still hardcore out there with her. Because when she could start peeing in the stand, she became a warrior. (laughs) It was like the best thing. A tinkle bell, a tinkle bell. And Sitka made the, they listened and they made the the zipper go way back for a woman so that you have access. It's just awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I will say this. There's a lot of, of guys listening to this, this podcast, and they'll need to take note uh, just to see that if, if somebody can can stand it, you know, if you've got the right stuff, it's worth sitting out there. And it's a mental game, too, along with that. So, obviously, you've got a very strong mental game. It's impressive. Well, she, she always knows there's hope. Yeah, for sure. If I was going to offer advice for someone starting deer season, I would uh, – I would offer up that when you get past the the point of where you have to kill something, because I remember that as a young guy, I have to get I have to get at least one buck. You would suffer the whole season trying to to get a buck because we had two tags in Michigan, and once you got a buck, any buck, you just relaxed and you're like, oh, I got a buck, so I can hunt for a big one now, and and it was almost like this weight lifted off. You be, for some reason there was this self-imposed need to punch a tag, and I get it. But when I start hunting now, I I don't have that anymore, and I enjoy it more because I, it's so fun just to go out there and see the blue sky and the clouds and the 
the green oak leaves and watch those green oak leaves turn to, to brown and then watch them come off the tree and blow away in the wind and everything comes becomes white. Once you, I think, accept the fact that you don't really need to kill anything, that you're just out there watching nature and God's creation and Sunday mornings in the tree, our church, and if, if you're if you're blessed enough to get something great, if you don't, you were still blessed. When you relax, that's when you really start killing big deer and, and enjoy the experience a lot more. So I would say relax, and some of my best seasons, I never killed a buck. But I, the, the process and the, the, the scenery were more than worth everything. Wow, beautifully said. That's that's what it's all about for sure. Yeah, and you're not the first person that said that either that we've had on a podcast, and I think that it speaks volumes as to your your wisdom and and just how many years you've been hunting and what you found to to bring you know you you gratitude and it's it's great to harvest them and have a trophy and have meat and being able to enjoy it in that way. But you're right that it does it causes some unneeded stress and. Unfortunately, some people uh, take it with them in other areas of life, right? In your, your professional life or at home with your family. And it's just, it, it, it's already great that you can go. And, and I think that we've, you've talked about that early in life when your kids were young and Maria's at home. I'm sure if you were coming home stressed out about, oh, I didn't get him or I didn't get this or, oh, oh man, it was, it was bad because I didn't harvest anything and you're, you're frustrated. Uh, I'm sure that would have, uh, you know, just caused unneeded unneeded stress in the home right and just with y'all's relationship yeah and i think gene wenzel wrote shooting a, a giant buck will not get you into heaven <laughs> that's true like that, that's you know, true um, yeah. you know you could have if someone wanted to shot a doe you gotta let it go let it go <laughs> yep absolutely we were having a discussion about trail cameras earlier in our in our little group message and i think trail cameras are great but i also think man they can they can put expectations on your season and it really makes it hard that's 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 one of the downsides of trail cameras um because i I know for me it, it can put expectations on my season and you know and then you start to you start to down yourself you start to get discouraged and you kind of it's kind of like you lose you know what you're out there for hmm. no and i've seen we have the cell cams which again i'm not i'm not saying they're right or wrong whatever but i've seen them walk up and go around them and if you if you based on if you're going to go hunting that day the big buck didn't come by those, i think those big bucks some of them are smart enough to know what they are i've i've been right in the stand and watched them walk around the back side of that where it is and go right through and you would if you were going by the camera you would never know they came through so i think i think and marie says it all the time because i i do that too i'm like ah, i don't think there's anything out there i want to shoot but the cell cam is not telling you the whole story so you should kind of pretend they're not right if the if the wind's right and you feel right I don't think that should enter in. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Certainly. Certainly. Well, y'all are a wealth of knowledge. And Marie, you are, like Denny said, a warrior. You know, you have inspired me. I'm going to go tell my wife all about you. So that's that's awesome. And y'all make certainly a dynamic duo. It, it, it really is. It, it's great. I'm glad y'all found that passion together. We have fun. I think Australia will be a real trial for me because it's stalking, which I'm not very good at, and wet feet, which I'm really bad at. But I'm going to give it my give it my try. <laughs> hey, that's all you can do. That's, that's that'll right. be fun. I, ho- I hope we see a bunch of pictures from that. Me too. You'll see pictures. Might be her crying, but <laughs> hey, like, it could I, be you crying, Denny. <laughs> hey, it might be, but I've I've been there before. That's well, I can't say that. The, oh, yeah. We were over there. Uh, I was over there in uh, 07 with my car dealer. We have a we live in a small town, and there's a Chevy dealership, and the guy that owned it was a bow hunter, and and he always wanted to go hunting with I me. Mean, we hunted South America and Africa. And I, I said, hey, I'm going to Australia. And he came with me. And we went over there and to Tuba Station where Marie and I are going. And it rained like you wouldn't believe. And they said, just bring tropical clothes. Don't because we have to fly from there up to the Northern Territory. And he was, it was horrible, cold, freezing. And uh, they didn't say anything about rain gear, so this guy's drenched every day. And he's like, "My my gear's wet. My my clothes are wet. I'm freezing. You know, this sucks. I'm t- I'm tired of it." And the guide said, "I think you need a can, mate." He goes, "A can of what?" He goes, "A can of toughen up." So anyway, <laughs> there you go. Great. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, hopefully it's not that wet. <laughs> it, we drove across this little bridge, and it was a sand gully. And when we left, it was a raging torrent going to rip the bridge out. It just rained forever, but it'll be fun. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but I, I do want to add one thing about Marie and I. Ten years ago, she was diagnosed with lymphoma. And we, we thought the world was going to crush us and cave in, and and it was a bad time. And we decided to start punching out a bucket list, which included the the Hawaii and the Alaska, Thanks. the Spain. I, I wanted to let her see the world, and that's when she decided she didn't want to uh, do any more vacations unless it included hunting. But through all the prayer and support of friends, we've we've got to do a lot of really cool things. And you shouldn't wait till you get lymphoma to go do all the cool stuff. And we pray every day that she stays healthy and her reports are good so far. Yeah. Mm. So wow, that's amazing. Yeah, have some fun while you can. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, we completely agree with that. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to y'all tonight. Like I said, Marie, it's you're a, you're a warrior and um 
I'm going to, I'm going to close this out in a prayer. Um, if y'all don't mind. Awesome. Honored to have a prayer. Dear heavenly father, thank you for Denny and Marie and, and this conversation we've had tonight, Lord. And, uh, I just, I want to pray that you bless their passion for bow hunting and both of them as they go to Australia and keep them safe, uh, to and from Lord, um, Lord, Please be with uh, one of our brothers, Todd Cook, as he's going through a, a stormy season of life, Lord. And Lord, please bless all the things that we do and say, and may they honor you. And uh, Lord, thank you for each and every day, Lord. Thank you for being able to go sit in the stand or come home to a family, Lord, or just go to work, Lord. We thank you and we honor and love you. Amen. 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 Thank you both so much. It has been an absolute honor.